there was suffering, there was pain, there was complexities, um, and there were people who eventually called for the death of Jesus. You know, things have been going really good for Jesus. Jesus uh, has healed people. He's turned water into wine. He's raised the dead. Lots of good things are happening in the little towns that he has traveled to. During Jesus' ministry, he only traveled about 60 to 70 miles circumference from his birthplace of Nazareth. Um, but during this time, during this last week of his life, the storm hits, okay? And we're going to look at this last week from the perspective of the Gospel of Mark. Of course, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at it from Mark. Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels, and Mark is a very fast-paced writer. He doesn't look back. It seems like once he gets started, he gets to the bottom line very quickly. In a sentence or two, he captures the expression that he wishes to make, okay? Sometimes the book is kind of hard to follow because there's not a lot of narrative in between his thoughts, all right? But today, we're going to look about at about 20 hours in the life of Jesus. This is the beginning of the last week before the crucifixion. And over this series, I'm going to use the term rain quite a bit, okay? We use the term rain a lot of times in a negative way. I didn't think about this a lot until this sermon. When things aren't going right, what do we say? When it rains, it it pours, okay? Uh, when things don't go well or something you'd planned is not going the way it wants to, we say, it rained on my parade. That's right, okay? But what we've got to know about rain is it puts moisture in the earth and it makes things grow. Did you notice after the rainy spell that we had some about a week ago, that when the rain went away and the sun came out, things started to look green, okay? It's not there completely yet. It's got a ways to go. The daffodils began to bloom out. Have you seen those little yellow flowers everywhere popping up in people's yards? Uh, the Bradford pear tree, it started to have its beautiful white blooms on the tree, so that water, along with the sunshine, came and did a wonderful, powerful thing. By the way, why did God make Bradford pears grow in Oklahoma? I mean, have you seen what the wind does to those things? I mean, it just twists those limbs up. It has such heavy foliage. It just, never mind, we'll go on. All right. But I want all of us to think about rain tonight in a positive light. When rain comes into your life, ask yourself this question. What is happening in my life right now that I can grow from? Okay? And let's just dive into the outline right now. Number one, the pressure of what is about to happen. It's a terrible thing many times to know what's going to happen in your life moments before the calamity begins to arrive. Jesus knew what was about to happen to him. Mark 11, beginning with verse 1, says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, 
and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, you will find a colt tied, whereon never a man set. Loose him and bring him. I don't know about the morality of all of this, but basically it's what he's telling these two disciples to do is go in and borrow a colt without asking anybody. That would be like you and I going up to a complete stranger here in Broken Arrow or Tulsa or wherever you live, going up to the door and knock on the door and say, could I have your keys? And without explanation, taking the keys and go out and put the keys and start it up and drive away in the people's car, okay? Same thing, just different day, different mode of transportation. And then he says, and if any man say unto you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Yeah, they're just going to say, okay. All right. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And a certain of them stood there and said of them, apparently there was a neighbor that saw that his colt was being hijacked, okay? And he says, what are you doing? What do ye? Loosing the colt. And they said unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, they let them go. <laughs> no question, just, okay. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. How many of you know what happens next? Raise your hand. You know what happens next? Two? Okay. And there's more of you that know what happens, okay, but you just... Palm Sunday, all right? The triumphal entry. This is a week before the resurrection. They cut off branches, they took their cloaks, and laid them down for him to ride over. And I find this just hugely interesting, and we don't talk about this a whole lot, but the people of Israel did this only for royalty. Only for royalty, okay? This is the only time in Jesus' ministry, except a few private moments, that an entire city recognized him as the king. They are declaring him to be the son of David, the Messiah. And Jesus knows this is going to be the last week of his life. This is the first time that he has allowed this to happen. Remember most of the time when he did a miracle? He would tell the people, now go away, but don't tell anybody what happened here. Okay? Don't tell anybody. You know, I'm not fond of not knowing what's going to happen ahead of time. I remember when I was in high school, I'm walking down the hallway, and a guy runs up to me. He was in a different hour chemistry class, and he had already been to the class. He said, Scott, he said, we're having a pop quiz today, and the points are going to count. And I had to wait four more hours to worry about it because I didn't know the material. I was going to sit there and make a zero on a pop quiz that was going to average into my score. And I did not do all that well in chemistry anyway. I couldn't afford this. I sweat that class all day long. And I got there. I'm dreading. I almost figured out a way to try to hide or skip class or see if another teacher needed me to do something for them. But I went in there and sat down. The teacher begins to lecture, began to talk about the periodic chart or whatever they were going to talk about that day. And I sat there, and he went on and on and on. And I'm watching the clock. 
and I'm going, he doesn't have time to give us a quiz. The bell rang, and I cut out of that class in case the teacher thought about the quiz and didn't I remembered it again, was going to administrate it after the, uh, the, the, the time of the class. Whew. I was a relieved person. Jesus knew that there was going to be trouble. Even though he knew this was the beginning of the end, Jesus now is beginning to stir the pot more than he ever had. How did Jesus feel about this? Remember, he's fully God and he's fully man. He had a healthy fear, okay? He had anxiety, he had tension, and he had nervousness. The Bible talks about his emotions. He, he wept, okay? He hungered, just like you and I do. He was thirsty. He had all the human traits that we have. He was tested and he was tempted at every level, just like we are. He was a real person. He was a regular guy, but he was fully God. Number two, he had pressure simply from cursing a fruitless tree. A lot of times people don't get what's really happening in this passage. They just skip over it and read on. But this is a powerful picture of the day and the age that Jesus was living in. Mark 11 and 12 says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter and forever. And his disciples heard it. Do you think Jesus was upset because he was hungry and he didn't get his little snack in the afternoon? No. No. Here's what's happening. A fig tree produces fruit only after it is fully Leaved. Then it begins to produce fruit. Jesus saw the fig tree. It had leaves, and it has, should have fruit on it. He approached the tree when he was hungry, and it did not have figs on it. The tree was an illusion or a deception. It had leaves, but no figs. This was a picture of the religious sect of the Jews the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they had leafed out, but they were producing no fruit. They gave their money publicly so people could see. They said their prayers very loud so others could hear their eloquence. They wore on their robes symbols to show how studied they were, and they were really studied. They were all show and no fruit. Jesus was cursing the notion that they were frauds. All leaves, no fruit. And I see this application to us when we care more about our image than we do about the truth that is in the core of us. Perhaps we should ask ourselves this question. Do we really know who we are at the core? Do you know your weaknesses? You know, I feel like that I'm pretty self-aware and I know what my weaknesses are. But I really don't think I want other people to know what my weaknesses are. So here, right here, 
is this image of me, okay? I clean up, and I can look fairly nice, do the right things, say the right stuff. Now, I'm not a hypocrite, okay? However, there is a little gap between my image and who God knows I am. Image, but this little gap right here of what God knows about me. I'm making an honest attempt to be the person that is this image and narrow the gap between what God knows about me and my image, okay? But I believe that we all have this little gap between our image and what God knows us to be, who we are at our core, okay? Here's what happens. We work on our image, and it really looks good on the outside. All of you look really good, by the way. You clean up really nice. Come to church looking good, okay? We work so hard in the image that the image gets further and further away from what God knows about us. We work on the outside. We make sure that we look good. We clean up nice. We act right. We say the right things. But we keep moving further and further about from what God knows about us because we're just working on the image. What happens when that happens? Then somebody gets exposed. Maybe immorality is put before the public. Maybe they're stealing money. People are shocked. I never dreamed that they would ever do such a thing. They lost the core of who they were. They had leaves but had no fruit. He cursed the fig tree because he wanted to, nothing to do with that kind of life. And why? He came to give life, and he came to give life more abundantly, meaning there should be fruit in us when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Number three, the pressure of promoting justice. Here he goes. He's starting to really stir the pot now. Jesus is now going to take this harshness to the people, all right, between their image and what God knows about it. Mark 11 and 15. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the table of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it. Here we go. It's ratcheted up now. And they sought how they might destroy him. In your version of the Bible it says, And they sought how they might kill him. For they feared him because all people was astonished at his doctrine. You see, Jesus' anger did not come from the fact that sacrifices were being sold. That was a long practice. He was angry because of the dishonesty which people were profiting from people. Scales that were not in balance properly and they were cheating people out of their money. Overcharging people who couldn't afford to pay any price. They're also putting guilt on people who could only afford a certain sacrifice. You know, the birds were for the poorer people. They cost less. 
And when they would come in and they would say, I want to buy a dove, they'd say, look at them and go, is that all? Or perhaps if they would buy a dove, it went the other way, they'd say, hey, you know, God would be much more pleased if you would buy the goat. You know, I can deal with guilt when I'm truly guilty, but I don't like feeling the guilt when I've done nothing wrong. How old here is Jesus? Anybody? 33? Yeah. Most Bible historians believe it's about 33 years old. How long has this practice that they are selling at exorbitant prices Sacrifice in the temple. How long has that been going on? Forever. All 33 years of Jesus' life, certainly. And I, I ask this hard question. Why didn't he do something about it before now? Hard question. I believe is because he knew that this would be the end of it. I believe that he knew that there was a time clock that would start ticking and it would be a clock that would be a countdown when they would kill him. And they would kill him for this and many other reasons. He was wise not to do this any sooner. He had a bigger vision than just the money changers in the temple. He had a greater vision than was going on right there. His vision was to make it to the cross. You see, in life, sometimes we want to fight every rabbit that jumps at us, every battle that comes our way. We want to fight and we want to duke it out. But I believe Jesus is demonstrating here, pick our battles wisely. Jesus did it, and he did it in a timely manner. You don't need to fight everything that comes your way. Jesus sees this is worth laying down his life for. I'm going to take a stand here. It's time. And finally, number four, and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about. The pressure of having an unknown identity. Someone, somewhere, Dana was not on Facebook. She didn't care to be on Facebook back this time. It was a long time ago. But somehow, some way, somebody opened a Facebook account in her name. It had pictures of her family. It had all of her information. They weren't responding to anything. But people were actually getting mad at Dana because she wasn't accepting their friend requests. And those of you that are on Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. You're a crest of friendship, and you can start corresponding with one another on Facebook. Well, she didn't even know she had a Facebook account. Well, that's kind of unnerving that people can do those things and open up a Facebook account in your name. Dana had a fake identity, and we have no idea who wanted to take the time to create a Facebook page in Dana's name when she didn't even know she had it. It seemed kind of crazy to me, but I guess they had nothing better to do with their time. Mark 11, starting with verse 27. And they come again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple, and there come to him chief, the chief priests 
and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. I love the way Jesus does it. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question and you're going to answer. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. <laughs> I like that. And they reason with themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John, that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell, or we don't know. And Jesus answering saith unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> You're not going to answer my question. I'm not going to answer yours. Nanny, nanny, poo-poo. You know, okay. These religious leaders, they're bright guys. They had memorized the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by the time they were five years old. Have you even tried to read the book of Leviticus without falling asleep? They knew the law. These guys prayed four to six times a day. Their lives were given to this, and these men were brilliant. Don't kid yourselves. They were smart. Think of this. God is standing right in front of them, and they're asking him questions. And he's asking them questions, and they don't know it. All their work, all their study, all their labor, all of their discipline, and they don't recognize him. If I'm Jesus, I would have stepped out of who I am into my image. And I would have said, I'm God, and you're not. That's authority enough. And see that fire that's coming down out of heaven? That's for you. Obviously, it's a good thing I'm not Jesus. Jesus, though, does not retaliate. His vision and his purpose was greater than retaliation. He came to the earth for the very people who did not recognize him. And guess what? Tomorrow morning, all around the globe, in many, many churches, Jesus is going to come into those churches, those places of worship, and he's going to walk up and down the aisles, perhaps with his arms outstretched. And the people in those churches are going to be going through the form. They're going to be singing the songs of praise. 
They're going to be giving in the offering. They're going to be hearing teaching. They're going to be doing all of those things. They're very familiar with the forms. They're very familiar with all of the restrictions. They're very familiar with all the rules of the church. They know how it's done. They clean up nice. They're going to look like nice and respectable people. But Jesus is going to walk up and down the aisles of the church with his arms out begging to be recognized. And they're not going to know who he is. They know the regulations. They know the ritual. But they don't know the Christ. It's probably going to happen more times than we care to admit. Last week of Jesus' life. We'll continue next week. We're just going to.